Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture reading is 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 32 to 50. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around, because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with the sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come with me at sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank onto his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. I, I know we're all doing virtual service still, but let me just try to encourage you for just a moment. Don't stay distant. I know that's a very easy thing to say, but it's so important right now. Our tendency right now is to stay anonymous. Uh, it's been a year of online relationships that have gone by by now, and it's made our connections thinner than ever before. Our, our ties are less strong. 
And it's coming from our digital context that we have, our, our Zoom fatigue. It's making us stay away. And I want us to fight that tendency, uh, to fight the tendency to stay away from each other. LSQ, Redeemer Lincoln Square, we are here to provide for you, to create a space for community and relationships, even in this situation. Um, there are LSQ small groups right now that are ready and willing for you to join them. All that information is online on our website. Um, so please don't stay a stranger. Uh, maybe as a New Year's resolution, 2021, let's get connected. Let's reconnect and develop community now. So please try to consider a community group and uh, reaching out for that. We started a series last week on the life of David, uh, specifically looking at him really as a way to look at ourselves in the mirror. Uh, Today we we get to David and Goliath, and it's one of those very famous passages in the Bible. Uh, But it also might be one of the most wrongly preached passages in the entire scriptures. Uh, We often think the moral of the story is to uh, just believe like David And then we can take down the the Goliaths of our lives. Uh, But that's not the point of the passage. Our text today is about a battle. And it's a battle between the Israelites and the Philistines. Now, what a lot of people don't know, and I didn't know until I, I researched this, it's that the Philistines actually were the more advanced uh, culture in regards to weaponry and uh, metalworks. So their swords and their spears were actually better technology than what the Israelites had. And so the backstory to this entire event is that there was a battle that the Israelites were going into that they were going to lose. And the question that was in everybody's mind was, what were they going to do? It is in that context that David says in verse 32, he says what? Do not lose heart. I will go fight Goliath. Do not lose heart. I got this. And we have to ask ourselves this morning, everybody has asked this question, is how will we not lose heart this morning? How will we go out into battle tomorrow morning? How will we carry on and live and thrive See, our text today, it's all about the concept of assurance. It's about confidence. What is your confidence in? What is your assurance in? Now, the good news is everybody in the world, religious people, non-religious people, everybody in between, everybody is going to have to answer this question. What are they placing their assurance and confidence into? And will it lead to success? And so I think that's what we have to ask this morning. It's that everyone has to ask, which is where do you get your confidence and assurance to face the challenges of your life? And so let's look at this in three ways. Three ways today. We're going to look at uh, the grounds for Saul's assurance, David's assurance, and then where we can get our assurance. I'll say it again. It's the grounds for Saul's assurance, David's assurance, and then where we can get our assurance. So first, the grounds for Saul's assurance. David says, uh, I'm going to go fight for him, but we need to look in our text and look at Saul's reaction. Immediately, without any discussion, Saul says, I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. Saul doubts David's confidence. He says in verse 
33, you are not able to go out against the Pharisee, the, the uh, Philistines. Why? Because you are young and because Goliath is a skilled warrior. Now, this, some scholars have said that the, this is a reference to David's youth um, because in the, to fight in the Israelite army back then, you had to be over 20 years old. So to mention his youthfulness, it means he was probably younger than that. So Saul is saying this, I am not so assured as you are, David. He's saying you can't do this. You can't have this confidence. You can't have this assurance that you think that you have. And he grounds his argument in reason. He grounds his argument in experience. You're only a boy. You're not strong enough. He's been fighting since he was a boy, which means you're outgunned, you're outmanned, you're outmatched, you're outplanned, right? That Saul is, is actually trying to be the voice of reason right now in our text. He's being the sensible one. He's being the rational one. You, everybody knows that you don't fight fights that you can't win. And he's saying you can't win with this, David. Um, if you were in a boardroom meeting right now and you're looking at Saul and you're looking at David's pitches, whose side would you side with? I'm almost positive you would side with Saul's. Because he's speaking our language. Saul was a man of abilities. He was uh, the chosen because he was the strongest. He was the tallest. And he knew that David wasn't. See, Saul's ethos and argument as a person back then is actually now the air that we breathe here in New York. It is the water that we swim in that we don't even see. It's because our whole culture is... Um, is founded on this exact same assurance as Saul's, that you should be as confident as you are the best. You should be as confident as you are competent. So if you're the best and if you're the brightest, then you'll win at life and you'll be a success. That is, I think, why New Yorkers are so obsessed with success, because we think that that's the key to winning at life. It's the key to a happy and fulfilled life. And so I think this is the deepest sin pattern of our culture. It's so deep that we don't even see it in our lives, that we are a slave to winning, to building our resumes, to making it, to being the best. But, I mean, but ask yourself some questions. Why do you think that you always feel like you don't have enough time? Why do you feel like you never, that you're always tired, that you can never get ahead? And you should ask yourself, do you think the rest of the world feels the same way? And the answer is they don't. New, York, New Yorkers work some of the longest hours in the entire world. Americans work some of the longest hours in the entire world. And we take the fewest holidays because at the end of the day, our confidence is in our abilities. Our confidence is in our performance. It's in being a success. And the darkest part of that is you don't even know it. You know, and you, because well, here's what you say. You say, well, what's so wrong with being a success? Let me try to give you three quick reasons why. First, if that's how you measure yourself, you're already in trouble. Do you know how many people have come to New York City and have died in New York City, spiritually speaking, because they come to be a good enough singer? They come to be a good enough dancer, a good enough uh, software engineer, a good enough, you know, fill in the blank. And yet you get here and there's always somebody better than you. Because if, and that means if your assurance is trying to be in the, be in the best, you're going to be broken. See, how many people come here 
to make it and either succeed by sacrificing their lives to do that or they fail and they go away broken. It's because of this laser focus on your assurance and your abilities that Saul has and that we have. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Now two, if you do this, you actually become insufferable to all those who can't be a success or who actually never desired that definition of success. This is actually a longer conversation. We can't really go into it right now. But whole classes of people, whole you know, um, racial groups actually probably stay away from the upwardly mobile New Yorker because we are so blind to our own navel-gazing, to our own drive for perfection that we don't even see how many people we essentially cut out from our lives because we can't or we won't associate with folks who are as driven as us. See, I think that here's the irony. The irony is we don't just cut them out. They can't stand the myopic, driven people who strive to have the perfect life and have everything great. And my kids are great and they're in great schools and look how great we are and look how much we're acting great. Look at my resume. Look at my job. Look at my success. See, how many people in the world can actually make that a goal in life? Actually, very few. So many of us have no idea how deep we are into a very particular and small cultural assumption of success that actually keeps us away from relating to people who have no desire for that at all. Redeemer Lincoln Square will never be able to meet the full needs of New York City. Well, unless we first come to terms with our own blindness and repent of it both corporately and individually. That we will always have an unrealistic expectation of who can and who will actually come to our church. And we need to come to terms with that. This, of course, has racial implications, but um, it, it goes down deeper into will we be able to be good neighbors? Because if we're blind to how we have our assurance and our abilities, we're going to be blind to how to love and serve others. That's two. Three, um, you're going to be un- just unrealistic. If you want to know what, what it means to be unrealistic, um, it means being out of touch with reality. Culture says to this today, here's what everybody says in culture, you can be whatever you want to be. My, I turn on the television, my daughter's sitcoms and their c- cartoons, every other one basically says that, that you, you don't have to have any limitations on your life. That you can do whatever you set your mind to accomplish. American culture lives and breathes that narrative. It's a therapeutic understanding of self. It's actually a very Rousseauian, uh, romantic view of humanity. And it's a lie. Because when we tell kids straight from birth that you can be whatever you would put your mind to, guess what? If you're 5'2 and 150 pounds, you're never going to be a middle linebacker in the NFL. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Some of you... You're going to put your mind to trying to be astronauts, and you're never going to be able to make it, no matter how hard you try. So you, you, you're never going to be able to be a pop singer, even if you tried. 
Me personally, I loved singing when I was in middle school. I was part of my middle school um, here in New York City public school, the, the chorus there. I When I got to high school, I tried out for the high school chorus. 42 people uh, tried out for it. 40 people made it. I was not one of them. Was I crushed? Yes. And you're, by the way, if you're laughing, you're allowed to laugh right now. Um, was I crushed? Yes. If I had tried harder, would I have gotten better? Yes. Maybe a little bit. But not enough to be a pop singer. Because it, that you, can't, you can't say that. You can't, it, if, when you actually say it out loud, you're like, that is actually kind of foolish. You're right. There are some things you, it, it, you can't be anything you put your mind to. I got an app uh, this Christmas to work on setting good habits. And a lot of it is really good. It's about positive thinking. And it's about imagine your goals and imagine your thoughts and your actions and build yourself up with your self-esteem and your accomplishments. And, um, and, then you, and if you do that, you, you can do anything. And I think while it does help a lot of people, it doesn't help people who have unrealistic expectations of what they think they can accomplish. Goliath, as you look in our text, had a lot of self-esteem. He tells us that. But clearly that wasn't enough, was it? That can't be your assurance in the end. Go back to Saul for a second. In verse 38, what does he do? He dresses David up in his own tunic, in his own personal coat of armor. And what's he doing there is he's still trying to win on talent and strength and ability and technology. It's all the things that you and I assess our lives with. He's literally trying to dress David up as a mini mini Saul, like a mini me. And Saul knew it. And you know why? Because that's all he actually knew. Saul was the biggest and the best, and so he was trying to dress David up as himself. That is the same spirit that's in our culture too. And so you need to ask yourself, before we move on here, where are you trusting in your abilities for your assurance? That's not going to be enough. Where are you trusting in false narratives that our culture tells us? Where is your confidence in in what you can do and what you produce as being enough. Because if you measure yourself that way, you're going to be disappointed when it's not enough. It'll make you inflexible and unable to handle that disappointment. It'll make you unable to accept failure. You'll be unable to relate to people who actually don't hold your cultural values as well. And basically just makes you less of a human person. Now, fine, that's the first point. Second point, if that's Saul's assurance, what's David's assurance? What were the grounds for his assurance? Well, the text says, tells us, I think there's, there's two levels to this. One, in verse 39, it says that David very quickly realized that the armor that Saul was trying to give him, that the sword that Saul was trying to give him, it wasn't going to be enough. Right? It wasn't going to work. Right? He couldn't be a mini Saul. He couldn't out Saul Saul in a way. In fact, look at the text. It says that he says, I can't, I can't go in these because I'm not used to them. And a lot of commentaries point this out. That's actually a very polite thing to say. Oh, oh, Saul, thank you. I, I just, I'm just not used to them. That's a lot like uh, when your mother or your grandmother gives you a sweater uh, for Christmas. And you don't say, I hate this sweater. It's ugly. I, ugh. No, what do you say? You say, oh, it, oh, it just doesn't fit right. That's why I don't wear it. So the same thing's happening with David. It's being polite but it wasn't just that he did, it didn't fit him. Most scholars note that he probably couldn't have worn that armor even if he wanted to. He couldn't have picked up that sword even if he wanted to. He literally didn't have the ability. He wasn't strong enough as a boy. He wasn't big enough as a man. 
And so I think this is an important point. It wasn't just that he didn't fit. David knew his limitations. He knew his limitations. See, the modern idea of freedom is this. It's freedom from all limitations. You can do whatever you want. No restrictions in your life. And yet that's crazy talk. There are always restrictions. Uh, is a fish most free out of water? No. Is a sailboat most free on land? No. Why? Because real freedom, the Christian idea of freedom, is not living without restrictions, but omitting our limitations and living in them. It's not living without any restrictions. It's finding the right restrictions to live in. That is what David does, and that is what we need to do as well. I used to help college students when I was a, a college pastor. Uh, we literally, when they would get to college, I would sit them down with a piece of paper, and, and they, we would write down all the goals and all the things they would want to do, and then how much time it would take to do each one of those things. And when we would add it up, inevitably, it was always over 24 hours. And so I would try to gently point out, I'd say, you know, I'm glad you have all these goals, but it's just not humanly possible. That's actually not okay. To be really free is to live within your limitations of who you are and what you can and can't do. And I would take that piece of paper and I would hold it up and I would say, you see, I'd say, see this piece of paper? It's finite. Look, it doesn't go on forever. There's a border here. It's only so big. It has a beginning. It has an end. And to live within the confines of that paper is not bad. In fact, it's good. It's freedom to know your limits. Maybe, maybe I'm just getting old right now. I'm starting to get you know gray in hair on the sides. Um, I think uh, when you're young, you're always thinking about how much potential you have. You're always thinking about, well, you know, that there's this air of possibility. My life can be can be different, right? Because life has so much potential. But eventually, I think when you get over 40 or, or around that time, you start looking around your life and you say, well, th- listen, the potential's gone. All I see is actual. And I think most midlife crises happen when we are coming to terms with that and we're not happy with that actual. It's, it's not, and what that moment is, it's not knowing how to handle your limitations. Instead of saying, this is who I am, this is my limit, this is what I can do, I'm not, you know, not going to dress in that tunic over there, I'm not going to fit in that armor over there, I'm not going to strive to be something that I'm not, and instead... Uh, we, we freak out. You know, we need to be able to say, I'm not going to try to out-Saul Saul. There is so much freedom in allowing yourself to be bound into a particular space, into a particular personhood, into, into yourself. See, we need to look inter- inwardly into our own lives and ask, where am I not allowing myself to be really free inside my limitations? Because again, li- freedom is not without any limitations. That's just naive. It's identifying what they are and saying, this is, this is who I am, and I'm okay with that. Where am I wanting to be more than what I am not, than what I, than, than what I really am, and it's killing me, and it's destroying me, and it's destroying those around me, All right? So that's David's assurance, um, and, and it comes in part in knowing his limitations, first point. But the second part of David's assurance, actually, if you look down in our text again in verses 34 and 37, Sorry, 34 through 37. On first glance, I think a lot of people get confused because they think David is bragging a lot like Saul has uh, bragged in, in other chapters. What does David say? He goes, I defeated the lion. Right? I defeated the bear. 
look how tough I am. Ah, I mean, it, it, at first glance, it looks like he's boasting, just like Saul. But look closer, friends. Right? Keep looking. Read it over and over again. It says in verse 37, he says, I killed the lion. I killed the bear. But only because the Lord rescued me. I killed the lion. I killed the bear. But only because the Lord rescued me. And then in that same verse, it says it again later on. He rescued me then, and he'll rescue me again. Now, the Hebrew word for rescue uh, means to be delivered. It literally means to be saved. It means that he could not defeat the lion or the bear unless he was rescued and saved, unless it was because of God's grace. He would have died. It wasn't for God's grace. If it wasn't for God's grace, he would have died. In other words, here is what David admitting, I can't do this on my own. I won't be able to do this on my own. Even the feats that look like I'm successful, I could only do them because God was behind them the whole time. That is, I think, actually the secret to David's assurance. Because you know why? He could be confident in anything out there because he knew whatever happened, whatever good came, it ultimately came not because of his own abilities but because of God's abilities. And if you knew that, if you rested in that, you could have unlimited confidence because it's not about you it's about him it's not because of his works it's because of his grace it's not because of your works it's because of his grace and so last point here what are the grounds for our assurance what can our confidence truly be in because if the moral of the story is be like david and then with enough faith you can tackle the goliaths of your lives no that's actually not the point Go back to the story. The reason why David and Goliath are one-on-one fighting each other. And the reason, the reason why they're even doing that is because of an ancient code of rules where sometimes whole battles, whole armies would, would allow the decision for that breakout, for that fight to be decided by one singular fight between a representative from each army. So Goliath was the champion for the Philistines, and David was the champion for the Israelites. And the conclusion of that fight, if I kill you, then you serve us. But if you kill me, then we serve you. And I think this is, this is the most important um, point of the, of the text. It's that David uh, wasn't fighting for the Israelites. He was fighting as the Israelites. Right? His, his actions would be the basis for salvation or the damnation of his entire people. And so the point of the text is this. The people were outgunned. They were outmanned. They were outplanned. They were lost on their own, right? Because the people can't save themselves. They needed one to fight on their behalf. And and, uh, this is the tricky part. Because we're always going to look for a champion that we think that could win for us. That was the original problem. The folks... The, the Israelites put their trust into Saul and it wasn't enough. And this is what's so sneaky about our hearts is that we will latch onto anything and everything that we, of, of, of what we think will win for us. You know, the, the people here a few chapters ago thought it was Saul, but it wasn't. Now David comes through, but we'll see later on in his life, he did some pretty awful things. 
And so our human heart and tendency will always be to elevate good things and to make them ultimate things, to get our assurance, and it won't be enough. And so the story is not be like David. Even being like David wasn't enough, as we'll see. The point of the story is who David points to. David was the champion of his people and was able to save them from the Philistines because he was the anointed one. But who can come and save us ultimately and completely, not just from the Philistines, but from ourselves, from our dependence on our abilities, from our navel-gazing, from our, our tendency to strive for that perfect life and cover up all the perfect imperfections of our life, from our pride, from our hatred of those who we don't understand and we're not really trying to understand because we just want to throw them in a vault and lock the door. That is what the entire Bible is about. That there is one who did come. Jesus Christ, the word for anointed in Greek is the word Christ. He is the true champion to come and slay, not the Goliaths of our lives, but Satan himself. He defeats sin and death itself. He attacks and wins over not just our, our faux faith, but the deep animosity that we even have towards him. And the truth is this. You and I will never really come to terms with our limitations, with our need and drive for approval, unless I have the approval of God right now, no matter what. As a father myself, you know what my children really need to hear from me? It's, you don't have to be anything more than what you are. I love you no matter what. That's what we want to hear from our Creator. That's all we need from our Creator. We're not saying be like David. We're saying he was the true David. That there was a real David to whom David points to, who is our champion, who defeated sin and death and injustice and all the shame of the world. And now that he has saved you, you can now have that joy and that love that is offered in him. So don't be just like David. See the true David, who will make you infinitely better than what even David was who won by losing his life, who defeated death by entering into death. So you know, you know what the worst thing could possibly happen to you right now? Everybody in the world admits this. The worst thing that could happen to you is death itself. But now, through him, death can only bring life. Wonder on his love for you. Wonder on his stepping forward in front for you to take on the onslaught and let that drive us to our knees. Let me give us one quick practical application out of this. Stop trying to put on the armor of success, friends, and put on the armor of God. Um, a, a, a pastor friend pointed this out to me, that there's actually only one other place in the Bible that it also talks about armor uh, in, in, this sort of, in this way. It's detailed in the New Testament. And there what we're told about is to put on the armor of God and get up the sword of the Spirit. In other words, it's being, we're being told, don't use the sword of your career in your life. It's too heavy. Don't use the sword of entertainment or distraction because that's too light. Don't use the sword of not being in community as we talked about already to protect us because that's going to be too small of a sword. Use the sword of the Spirit. It is always the right size. That is what we go out with. That is what we're being equipped with. And when life gets hard, you actually have armor to protect you. When you put on this armor, you, guess what? You're no longer fighting your own, for your own agenda. We need to hear this in, the, in light of what's happened in the past couple of weeks. That this isn't us versus them anymore. Really, this isn't your war anymore. 
You are part of his redemptive power to change the world through the Holy Spirit. That's what the armor of God means. The Holy Spirit is a symbol on your shield. It is not your family pedigree that's on your shield as it used to be in the past. It is not your race. It is not your class. It's not your career. It's the Holy Spirit. That is who you go out. That is who is sending you out. And so the question you have to ask is what are you really fighting for? Whose armor are you really wearing? Because when we realize that we're fighting in his name for his plan, and we already know that his kingdom will come no matter what, it will give you an invincibility and a confidence to keep going. And yet it also give you the ability to be like our Lord who calls himself both gentle and lowly. There's only one place in the Bible where Jesus talks about his own heart and he defines himself as gentle and lowly in spirit. Do you wear his armor? Or are you wearing your own armor? See, we need to remember the battle has already been won. And when we lay aside our armor and when we take up our cross and go, we're just being like him. Let's let that live out in our, in our lives every single day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, <laughs> Father, I, I don't think we think regularly about living inside our limitations, and yet you've created us finite beings, individuals that are, are um, made in your image, but we have a beginning and an end. I pray that we would have a deep confidence that we were rescued by you, just like David did. David somehow knew that the lions and the bears of his life could only be overcome because of your grace. I pray that we recognize the same thing, that the challenges that are before us in this country will only be ultimately defeated with your kingdom. Help us to be armed with that knowledge, wearing the armor, the breastplate, the the sword, the shield, to fight the battles that you want us to fight. Not the battles we that make us feel better. Not the battles that, that we feel like are important. The battles that you have sent us out into. Turn our hearts and, 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 and minds, Father, to you. We need you more now every hour. Let us have wonder upon wonder that you went before us. You were our champion. And we live in light of you. We praise things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.